0: Number 256, Brother Eddie has asked that we mark that and use that at the appropriate time a bit later in the service this morning. It again, as always, is a blessing we've each been given at the first day of this week to assemble to do so with a desire simply to magnify, exalt, and lift high the name of the God of heaven to in fact do that in a way that would be most honorable and most pleasing in His sight. As we've each been thankful for the ability that's ours to assemble and gather today, we come to a consideration during this part of the service to a portion or section of the Word of God. And might I invite us to give some thought not only to that text that Brother Trail just read a moment ago, but a larger context taken from that sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Some introductory thoughts to point us in the direction that is the topic and subject of today might well be these. Isn't it amazing the number of choices that you and I, in fact, make each and every day? When we rise in the morning, as we set out on the activities that are ours for that day, we make so many choices about places that we go, things that we do, things that we eat. In fact, we even make choices about things that we wear. Among all those matters that might be listed, it's certainly fair to say that many times questions from our youngsters as well as sometimes those that are older are asked about things that are worn. Is this appropriate? Does it look okay? Is this something that, in fact, is presentable for the place that I'm about to go and for the activities in which I'm about to engage? In fact, as you'll notice near the bottom of that slide, the principles that we thus might well seek to invite ourselves to consider about our appearance will be the topic of the lesson today. In fact, you might have noticed the title was this one, Daily Decisions About Appearance. There scarcely is a day that passes, but what questions and decisions along this line certainly must be made. For that reason, let's look at the lesson text first. That section of verses in the 6th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and once we have in fact given some consideration to that then, we will seek to extract some lessons and to extract some application points that can be very helpful to each of us. As you look at that particular text before us, I would invite you to begin reading with me in verse 12. And let's read through the end of that chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12-20. through 20. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. The consideration that has been ours in that passage certainly takes us back to the scene in which Paul first put together those thoughts by the direction of the Holy Spirit. The church in Corinth, of course, was a congregation that in fact was dealing and wrestling with a number of issues, weren't they? Everything from the very nature and character of what it meant to be a Christian all the way to the nature of how to appreciate spiritual gifts. A part of their question, of course, had to do with the issue of what you and I would recognize as just simple, daily considerations of Christianity. How do I talk? What do I wear? What kind of questions in this rather wicked city should then lead to me to appreciate what I ought to wear and what things ought to be pertinent and pressing? For that reason, look at some of the statements, and I've highlighted a few of them on this slide before us. In this very chapter... In fact, you'll notice that word body, B-O-D-Y, has occurred a number of times. You may have noted it as I read it. By my count, it occurred eight times in that span of just, again, a very few verses. It's clear that Paul wished them to appreciate that what takes place with regard to the body is something that has a great bearing on not only one's characteristic association with the Lord, but the influence that he can have with anybody else. It is for that reason that, again, note these statements. Verse number 13, The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And furthermore, the Lord for the body. We notice immediately that far from giving one's attention, let's say, through the week in terms of this sensual sexual activity and then somehow thinking on Sunday that all could be made right, one needs to appreciate that one's characteristic activities in the body all the time ought to be marked in terms of the one who is being served. Note another application. Verse 15, your bodies are the members of Christ. And Paul asked that question in a rhetorical fashion as if they were supposed to know that. Don't you know that your bodies as such are devoted servants, devoted to the very service and character of all that God has commanded? Note yet another one. Verse number 15, your bodies then are not to be the servants or members of an harlot. That kind of association should be foreign from your thinking. It should be foreign from the kind of individuals that you know you ought to be and from certainly what God would wish you to be. Perhaps yet another one, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ye are not your own. And then finally, verse number 20, glorify God in your body as Trail read for us from the translation in which the latter part of verse number 20, and you might know that the best manuscripts in which that verse ends do not have that final statement, in your spirit which are God's. The opening part of that verse is one though that is a telltale sign in all the manuscripts of which I was able to ascertain. Ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. As we think about then glorifying God in our body, might we suggest some lessons perhaps as it relates to the body might be forthcoming for the rest of our lesson this morning. It is with that in mind, let's seek to extract a few principles that might be of some assistance and helpfulness to each of us. We might well begin with some of these considerations. As listed on this passage, you'll notice that the primary viewpoint that Paul laid upon the human body was not an exaggeration of its physicality and an exaggeration for others to appreciate. In every instance, not associated with a harlot, members of the body of Christ, glorify God in your body, every emphasis that he laid forth in this section of verses was on a far higher plane of spirituality than merely that others might ogle over and appreciate what the body looks like. That was not the emphasis. That was not that which was to be forthcoming. It was not where one's thinking should have been centered. I've stated that in that passage that you'll notice. He specifically said in verse number 18, Flee fornication. As we give thought to fleeing it, first of all, we know that means not to engage in the act, but might we suggest this... That word flea seems to suggest by the character of the tense that one is to in fact avoid all emblems which would lead to such a thing, which would mean not dressing in such a fashion to lead to those thoughts in the mind of others, not dressing in such a fashion that it might prompt the thinking along that line in the mind of others. It is a matter then that Paul stated in a rather powerful fashion, wasn't it? that the Corinthians, despite the fact that they lived in, no doubt, the most liberal city in the ancient world, one known you can almost say, do, and think anything you want in ancient Corinth, and you were welcomed. In fact, you were often even lifted up as a novel revolutionary. Paul told the church in Corinth, you need to think twice about this. You can't just dress any way you want. You can't just behave any way you want and think that you nonetheless can call yourself a faithful member of the body of Christ. There were higher expectations than that. You and I today still serve a very demanding God. We have a God who demands our best. We can't squeak by with the lowest of what we think we can get by with and hope that He'll be happy with it. He, with regard to our thinking, our behavior, our dress, our speech, our language, He wishes you and I to devote to Him by the absolute dedication of the heart the thing that is the best that we can offer. Look at some of the latter verses on that if you would. There isn't a single one of us that would question that the human body is a marvel. It is a masterpiece to be sure. In fact, we can send students through 20 years of schooling and they still won't know everything there is to know about it. That's how remarkable it really is. Perhaps it reminds us of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 139. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. But to highlight the beauty and majesty of the body and to appreciate its nature is still different than to flaunt it in a public way. In fact, as you noticed near the close of that slide, that very nature of the appearance of the body and the features that go along with it is what you and I should give some careful thought to as we roll forward in our lesson this morning. The appearance of the human body. We know that we live in times in which subjects like this are certainly matters that often cross our thinking. Our first lesson, then, might well take us to this point. Based on some of the things we've noted in the writings of Paul in this chapter, wouldn't it be entirely fair to say that the appearance, that is to say, what one chooses to wear and what one chooses to do in presentation of him or herself, ultimately is an issue that begins in the heart. It begins inside And so, one of the first matters ought to be to think more along that line first. What's the condition of the heart and what is it that prompts one to think that he or she might dress in this questionable or this inappropriate way? Some of those verses that you'll notice near the very beginning of that slide point us in this direction. If I choose to dress in a way that is unsatisfactory, might we say that the problem that first and foremost has led to that is because something is wrong with my heart. And I don't mean that organ in my chest that's pumping the blood, of course. There's something wrong with my thinking. There's something inappropriate and, in fact, inappropriate about my discernment that has, in fact, led me to wear this which was inappropriate and, in fact, which ought not to have been done. We notice some of these verses in Psalm 119, verse number 2. We note the psalmist early on in that chapter had these rather pointed and remarkable things to say. He points it to us in the following fashion, I will seek for him with my whole heart. The blessing is pronounced upon the one who is a servant of the master. The blessed is pronounced upon one who desires to serve God, he says, I will seek him with a whole heart. God doesn't satisfy with half-hearted service, does He? He wants that which is the fullness and completeness of what we have to offer. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, as He closed near the end, of the, the end of that chapter, He very powerfully and straightforwardly said, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Our first chore, then, is to seek the things of God not to make available for others to see the things of the body, the things of the flesh, the things that in fact are of a carnal character. We read in Romans 8 verse number 6 that to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If your mind or mind is then directed, governed by and guided by these things of a carnal nature... Paul wrote to the Romans that death is the order of the day. Death is in fact the thing that will emanate and be the consequence. Isn't it a fascinating thing then to notice that what is the condition that would prompt one to dress in such a way that it would be unfit? Well, clearly, they do not have enough appreciation for first what God's commands are on that subject, But furthermore, they have not a sufficient love for those round about them. Because after all, if I dress in a way that then leads to improper thoughts in your mind, then you have been led to sin in part by the foolishness of my dress and by the foolishness of my choice. Doesn't that say then that we must be very cautious And very careful so that we don't prompt others to act in such a way with sinful thoughts crossing their mind because they have looked at me and they have seen what ought not to have been seen. To say that differently, they have failed to see the Christian example they ought to have seen. You'll notice then that the promptings of the heart move us in the direction that everything that's done along this line emanates from what we think for what the real condition of our basic heart is. In Matthew 15, verses 17 and following, Jesus made a discussion in which He taught a very pointed lesson that those of His day needed to understand, namely that what defiles a man is not because of what he has eaten. Now the Lord, of course, on that occasion was highlighting to them the fact they thought if they ate with unwashed hands and things like that, that that was a matter in defilement. The Lord, on the other hand, helped them to see that what comes out of the man, namely his actions, his speech, the thoughts of his heart and mind, that's what defiles him. And so, as we point to that thought in our life today, is it possible that by my choice of dress that I can lead others to then act in a way that a thought crosses their mind or perhaps a word emanates from their lips? that in fact could have been avoided if I had only dressed more wisely, if another had only dressed more appropriately. What we do wear does make a difference to ourselves and to others. Perhaps one final thought on that point would be the example of Ezra. In Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, when we give thought to Ezra, to the nature of his work, to the character of his attempt to lead the people back to a right relationship to God, we might ask, how is it that Ezra made such a great impact? Ezra 17 tells us, Ezra prepared his heart to seek and to serve the Lord. Ezra first started by preparing his heart. And once that heart was right, then he was a willing servant to all that God demanded. and He was more than happy to share the grandeur and greatness and sometimes even the difficult messages which God wished him to share. If we first today will prepare our heart, we too will be individuals that will dress rightly. And we will be those who will not set a poor example by virtue of inappropriate dress, at least. But maybe a second lesson, one that follows from this one. Our image, that is to say how we appear to others, is a matter that the Scriptures do do lay some degree of emphasis upon. When Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, in chapter 2 verse 20, a passage that no doubt has often rested upon your lips and mine, and one that we've often reflected upon as the greatness of its message is sent. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet. Tis not I, but Christ liveth in me. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Question. If it is the case, Paul, that Christ is living in you, then would you ever wear anything that Christ Himself would not have directly approved you wearing? Would you ever have worn anything, Paul, that would in any way hurt? tarnish, mar, or hurt the influence of the Master? That's a self-evident question in terms of its answer, isn't it? For if Christ was living in him, then what he wore would have been that which would have been in accordance to and in happy agreement with the thing that God had revealed. And today, as we think about the appreciation of that for ourselves, what does it say about Jesus Himself? In Romans 15, verse verse 3, Paul, even in that great passage as he wrote, wrote about the nature of Christ, he said, even Christ pleased not himself, but pleased him, namely his Father in heaven. When you and I give thought then today about that matter, image is in fact a critical thing. Isn't it safe to say that we could perhaps point that out in the following way? I've written it there near the top of that slide. One is not going to have much influence for good for Christ if we talk like the world, if we dress like the world, if we give every impression that we think like the world. It's safe to say the world is going to see no difference between us and them, and they are not going to be prompted to see any peculiarity to the Christian. But on the other hand, isn't it also safe to say that God, through Christ, has demanded of us that we, in the words of 2 Corinthians 6 We have no fellowship with those things that would be of Belial. We have no concord with that which is of darkness. We have no appreciation to, in fact, in any way support or lift up that which the world by its own carnal nature condones. Those things prompt us, do they not? That the way that the world looks at us, do they see in us the example of a person who dresses in a way that God would find pleasing? Or do they see someone who tries to dress like the world but claim to be a Christian? The two just do not go together. The two, in fact, are disjoint. The two are in disagreement. It is true in terms of any of that, that perhaps one final passage in that section would be this one. In John the 15th chapter, Jesus had these words to say, He very pointedly said the world is not going to approve what you do. The world is going to have their own motto, their own slogan, their own purview, their own approach. Safe to say the world is going to hate you. They're going to insult you. They're going to belittle you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to make jokes about you. They're going to snigger behind your back. And all the while, they're going to have a good time doing it. But rest assured... I have overcome the world, the Lord said, and just as surely as it hated me, it's going to hate you too. We should not then be too surprised by the fact that there are those who will have little appreciation. They'll want to know, why don't you get with the program? You dress too conservatively? Let it all hang out. And as you do so, enjoy the looks that that you're able to have. Enjoy the attention that it brings. Enjoy the popularity it allows you to understand and to appreciate. Others will be your friend. You'll get more invitations for dates. You'll enjoy more popularity and fame amongst your co-workers. Well, that's true, but the devil will be smiling all the while because we understand that life in Christ by virtue of the body is far more carefully prescripted than that. Our chore, you see, and our task is to glorify God, not this body. God fashioned it and He made it. It here is merely a tabernacle that I'm privileged to enjoy for a while, but it's not given for the privilege of everybody else's pleasure and enjoyment. My wife and her alone. And other than that, it is to be appropriately covered, It is to be appropriately concealed. It is to be appropriately, in fact, not openly made known for one and all. From the very days of the Garden of Eden onward, God, you see, has had a desire that these kinds of faults not be openly recognized. Adam and Eve, of course, before the sin, they were naked, Genesis 2.25, and everything was fine, but once sin entered the world... We notice at that point, they tried to clothe themselves, but inappropriately, we might add. But it was God who fashioned skins for them, Genesis 3.21, and thus made a more complete and full covering for those two. Might we say in light of all of that today, that the Christian is a person who is possessed by God. He owns us. Isn't that the verse we just read? Ye are bought with a price. And surely then as a Christian, we ought to desire to wear that would glorify the one who owns us. Not some half-hearted display of bodily figure such that we can claim maybe to serve Him, but yet also have the attention of all those about us. Those two don't go together. We understand that it is the Scriptures that tell us and teach us on so many occasions that the sinful ways of man can be so many. Those who are hardened against the Lord, those who choose to act so far removed from the teachings of the Bible, it's true they dress any way they want to, but you and I must not be a party to it. You and I must not encourage it, support it, endorse it, or in any way give our credence or official license, if you please, to it, because certainly we must dress better than that, because we serve a higher master than they do. They serve the devil. We do not. Perhaps one final thought would be in terms of that third lesson, the one that begins at the bottom of that slide. All the things we've said to this point have led us then to the practical application of some of these things. If our heart is right and we choose to have a heart that is of a godly nature and plain, and if it is the case that what we wear is important, then ought not it be true that we would wish to wear not just anything, but rather that which would be of a godly deportment and that which would be of a godly demeanor. For surely, that is what would be the proper example. It's what would set the right characterization. And it's what would, in fact, not direct attention merely to what our body might be, but rather to the one who has fashioned that body and who has said that it needs to be rightly covered. Let's look at just a few verses as we close our lesson this morning in that regard. You'll notice you're at the bottom of that slide that the statements that I made perhaps go without saying. But nonetheless, one can hardly walk through the aisle at Walmart anymore. One can hardly check out at the grocery store without seeing magazines on which covers are specifically pointing out, it seems, what merely are images that lead to various thoughts in the minds of each of us. It's a sad thing. But not just on magazine covers. In Walmart, how do the people dress? On campuses at school, how do people dress? In the workplace, how do people dress? Sometimes it does go quite a bit further than just images on a magazine cover, doesn't it? Because quite often those magazine covers encourage people to dress the very same way, of course. What about images on the television? What about images on the internet? If we aren't careful, that can come before us. It all does point out that the way we dress, isn't it true that it can cause thoughts to race through the mind? It can cause matters to at least veer from the straight and narrow pathway of righteousness. Joshua was told, Don't you veer to the right? or to the left, Joshua 1, verses 8 and 9. Today, as we seek to safeguard the way we think, we certainly should first strive to have our own house in order so that we dress rightly and then we can begin to encourage and influence those about us, hopefully to do the same. As we start that kind of thinking, might we notice again, verses 9 and 18 of the very chapter before us, Paul did say in verse number 9 that those in Corinth had been guilty of the kinds of activity that one would call fornication. And they had been guilty of things like homosexual character. Secular history seems to suggest to us, and some of the writings in the Corinthian letter tell us, that what went on in Corinth was a very nasty thing in many ways. The people would gather at the various temples and they would promote and prompt the things that you and I would recognize as completely inappropriate. And quite often the dress was something that was very, very revealing. In fact, even in history classes today, sometimes our students are asked to read about things that went on in ancient Greece, in the gymnasiums and otherwise, where people were naked, period. No clothing on at all. And Paul said, things in the body are to be watched very carefully in terms of making sure these kinds of sinful activities are not promoted. Might we say this, that today still isn't it true that those who are children of the devil still wish to reveal almost everything so that the mind really doesn't have to wander very far. It simply ought not so to be we should appreciate the fact that that which takes place in terms of the body, God wishes it to be far more restricted than that in terms of its covering. Look with me at another verse that's found, in fact, on the next slide. As we give thought to this one in 1 Timothy, the second chapter, I would invite us to use some of the thoughts about that verse to lead us through the remainder of the lesson this morning. We've already noted in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that Paul had much to say about the body and that it ought not simply be used as something to be flaunted and to attract attention to the physical. The body is for the Lord, Paul wrote. But you'll notice in 1 Timothy 2, writing to a different group of people, Paul had these words to say. In this particular chapter, as Paul addressed these issues and features about the church... The writing reads as follows In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. And the emphasis that was laid upon that issue in that case might we suggest might be highlighted in some of these words. Paul used that phrase, modest. What did he mean by that? Well, maybe a definition could be of helpfulness to us. The word modest in the Greek means something like this. Clothing which is appropriate, sensible, and decent, according to the definition of God. Now, we should be quick to say that many in our world might claim things are decent, but worldly definitions do not suffice. Again, we notice that this notion of modest has behind it sensibility as God would consider it. It has behind it the notion of decency as God would consider it. But Paul went on, did he not? He used another word as well, shamefacedness. That word certainly is a bit of a strange word to us. But when we note its meaning, it simply means that which has a sense of shame that which does have proper modesty, furthermore, that which is of proper respectfulness. In other words, Paul was thus writing, these women ought to make choices about what they wear so that it has these characteristics, modest as God would define it, shamefacedness as again God would consider it. Most likely, if there is a doubt then about that which one is considering wearing, if there's even the slightest indication that it might not be proper. Likely there's a sense of shame attached to it and it ought to be laid aside. Yet notice another word. Paul also used the word sobriety. That word means that which has self-control, that which is of moderation. We each understand, don't we, that our world often can apply significant pressure. If I'm going to be considered as accepted in that group, I'd have to dress like them. Friend, please, may we each appreciate the need to be self-controlled. If their pressure is such that that's what they demand of you, you don't need to be a part of the group anyway. You don't need to be looked at as one of them, for quite frankly, you aren't one of them. You've been called to a higher plane of service than that. Hopefully you, by your stance and your support of something different, can encourage them to think twice about what they are doing. Whether it be a young person or whether it be even those of us that are somewhat older, the pressures of dress can be enormous. We each know that rather well. Look at the kind of clothing that manufacturers seem to be making as the norm these days. Isn't it more challenging to find what would be considered appropriate, conservative, godly clothing? But yet we must look for it, and we must find it, and we must make sure to wear it. Because you see, our dress does have a great impact, certainly upon our own well-being before God, but it can impact others greatly. As we come near the close of this lesson this morning, isn't it still true that as Christians, you and I have been bought with a price Paul thus said, glorify God in your body. He didn't leave that as an option. That is an absolute commandment. Randy, by what you wear, if you claim to be a Christian, then wear what is appropriate to a Christian. No questions, no no other things to argue against it. Don't try to rationalize, don't try to justify. You wear what would be appropriate as one purchased by the blood of Christ might I suggest we each could put our names in that same sentence. You and I have been purchased and as such God says, Be ye holy, for I am holy, 1 Peter 1.16. As we draw this lesson to its conclusion this morning, one of the decisions that we frequently make is what we wear and how we appear to others. May we watch that carefully because God demands that we do. And even though we live in the 21st century now, we live so far removed from ancient Corinth, nonetheless the words that were written to that congregation are just as timely, just as needed, and just as important today as they were then. Those last three statements on that slide summarize the lesson in terms of its application. What we wear begins in the heart. If my heart isn't right, I might wear something that's inappropriate. And if my heart is questionable in terms of its dedication and devotion to the treasures of heaven, then I may wear something as too revealing or flashy in terms of making note to the body. But if our heart is orchestrated correctly and we appreciate the importance of the image, then we will in fact choose to wear what's godly. Today, as we set forth on a new week in service to the Master, may we strive to wear what God would deem to be modest, shamefacedness, and that which possesses proper sobriety, 1 Timothy 2.9. It might be today that there's one or more in the audience who, whether it be by dress or other means, recognizes that you need to respond publicly to the call of the gospel invitation. Today, will you not, will you not let the sacrifice of the Master emanate in your heart to a proper obedience to Him? If we could be of assistance to you today, perhaps in an, in an initial obedience... Realize the Lord died for you and demands that you believe in Him. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as the Son of God and be baptized. If we could be of assistance in that way today, it would be our privilege. If you have become a Christian, but over time you've gradually allowed things like this to become a problem, you've not been the example you know you should have been in terms of what you've worn, why not in fact begin to make a change at this very moment? Christ has promised He'll forgive you if you will but repent and confess those matters and come back to your first love. He'd be honored to set you on a proper course of godly living with godly appearance day by day. If we could help you today by prayer, praying for forgiveness, we'd be happy to do that as well. If either of these things would be something for which you would desire to let us know, we would desire you to do that and to do so even now as together we stand and sing the Chosen Hymn.